What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Nursing Uncharted, the podcast that delves into uncharted territory within your nursing practice. I'm Maggie Reichardt. I'm a full-time medical ICU nurse. I'm a mom. I'm pregnant with my second, and I'm your host for this podcast. Thanks so much for listening today. Welcome if you're new, and thank you for sticking by us if you're an NU veteran. This episode is sponsored by Amen Passport. Amen Passport is a travel app that helps you find book and manage assignments all from your phone puts you in the fast track for your next travel assignment so if you are in the market for a travel assignment be sure to check that out so this episode is chock full of vital information for all of us because all of us have to document so i dare ask the question how is your charting are you confident in your charting can you stand by your charting or are there a lot of holes? You know, we're going to talk through what things serve and don't serve you in a courtroom in regards to nursing documentation and much, much more. Um, and I think this is going to be a long episode because I have a lot of questions and we're going to get into a lot of stuff. So I think it's going to be really beneficial to you. So buckle up and thank you for listening. I'm sitting down with the goat when it comes to legal documentation. Her name is Maggie Ortiz. She also goes by Advocate Maggie, MSNRN. She is a resilient and compassionate force in nursing advocacy. She's been a seasoned nurse for 23 years with a background as a legal nurse and a prior investigator for a board. Maggie's dedicated to empowering nurses to safeguard their professional licenses. So Maggie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Maggie. Thank you for having me on, sister. Congrats, yeah. congrats on your, your little family. Oh, Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's the second time around has been a <laughs> whirlwind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're in the middle, I say, the hurricane, right? When you're a mom and stuff. So yeah, I've pivoted out, sister. My kid, my youngest is going to be 21. So oh, I'm out yeah. here on the outside. So you're in the middle of the hurricane right now. Yeah, trying to juggle it all. So... Well, tell me a little bit about your background and what kind of like what landed you into getting into this field. Sure. So I've been a nurse of state for 23 years, like yourself, spent uh, 15 years in the ICU. So critical care background, uh, level ones to, you know, okay. there's two beds here in the ICU. And we got a fib RVR and you're like, huh, I'm really in the ICU. But I digress. Um <laughs> Went on to do some emergency room, uh, IR, cath lab, EP, endo, went nice. on. I had my associate's degree for 15 years, 14 years. And then, you know, it are most, I don't know if everyone knows, oftentimes as a nurse, you can be restricted from moving places if you don't have a bachelor's. So mm, I was yeah. finding that I didn't know, you know, I mean, I'd been nurse for 15 years, done surgery centers, freestanding agency. I was like, I want to do something different. And for about five seconds, I thought I wanted to be in leadership. So I did my, my bridge, the ADN to master's in leadership. So I have a master's, but it's, it's in leadership. It's not in, uh, I, I'm not an APR and I don't hold, uh, I'm not a nurse okay. practitioner. Um, and so I did procedural sedation. I was working IR, cath lab, endo, and seeing that we were being put into situations where it wasn't safe for an RN to be sedating because an ICU patient with an airway is a gift. You're yes. not doing conscious sedation on that patient. That's a patient with an airway. That's that's not right. conscious sedation. And when you're asked to provide conscious sedation to a patient in a procedural area under the direction of a, a GI doctor, and, and no disrespect, but these aren't the people who can recognize rhythms or understand. 
understand what's actually happening. Yeah, and now you're yeah. giving high doses of benzos or narcotics, and this patient hasn't been screened appropriately. It's yeah. not safe. So a scheduler could use the tool that I created to say, hey, you know what? You need to be put on the anesthesia schedule to be worked up for an anesthesia evaluation. You are not our incidate. So mm. I did that in my master's degree. You know, as we talked, you stated, I left the bedside because I want to do something different. Again, I went to the board of nursing while I'm working on my degrees mm -hmm. and I was trained as an investigator. So I went to national training with anyone, PT, OT, MD, even like, uh, I say civilian or like people that were going to go to like HHS or DHS, anyone learning the skill of an investigation. So I was there national training with them. And then you go back to your respective board, you learn with an agency. And then I was taught how to use the rules and regulations, standard of practice on professional conduct and grounds for discipline in conjunction with the disciplinary matrix to look at the conduct. Are there violations? Yes or no. Come up with a chronology, a case review. And then that was the investigator, that was my job to do that. Call wow. the nurse, subpoena stuff, you know, under the executive director, right? But then I'm, I'm, you know, telling, calling the CNO, say, I need, you know, I need Maggie's personal record. I need the medical record for this patient or whatever the conduct was, right? I was trained how to do, um, to subpoena those records and to have those sent over. Okay. Um, and then I stayed for a short period of time, only six months, because I, what I now know and have connected with other people, there is a lack of due process under administrative law, doesn't matter what license you hold, that they, in all, just kind of dumbing it down, what I've learned is that each state is allowed to make up their own rules and regulations under administrative law and hold themselves accountable, right? Mm -hmm. So every board, right, nursing, physician, P2, whoever, the, our representatives don't know what we do. Right. Yeah. So they're not the ones writing the rules and regulations. It's done under that regulatory board. Not all of them. Not all states have a traditional what we consider a board. But there's some occupational law. There's some regulatory board that's given you the privilege. Whoever handed you your license in your state, that's mm. that's who you're accountable to. Okay. So I do this, you know, I help nurses and their legal team primarily now full time. I left the bedside after COVID. I'm not going to bore you when you're everyone here already knows why you know, not a mystery. Yeah. So I'm just called to something different now. I'm called to, you know, yeah. educate, make change. And like you said, charting, because you know, in all three courts of law, and I've been a civil expert as well, as as well as working within a board of nursing and then coming out and being also an administrative expert. You know, I just told you what they subpoenaed, right? The medical record. Yeah. All three courts of law. Yeah. You know, what's going to protect you. What you did or didn't Charting. document, and now, and now you didn't document it. Yeah, you know, I feel like charting is one of those things, like, you know, as nurses, we're responsible for so much, and every task gets thrown at us, and, and every task hold it, holds its own weight, and so we have to prioritize things. And, you know, charting ends up being one of those things that we end up being lax about sometimes because, you know, in reality, it's one of the biggest disservices that we can do because – you know, and not caring about our charting or not being intentional about what we're charting, you know, so I'm you better than anybody can talk about, you know, like how important charting is and, you know, thinking about charting from a legal perspective, as opposed to just another task that needs to get done. When you start writing down words, imagine someone worse than myself 
who will get on the stand and look at the jury and, and you're at the CVS, that's your jury. Don't think that there's going to be someone who knows what you do that's called, and right? That's civil litigation, so it's medical malpractice, which will cross over to the border nursing, but the border nursing will hold you to a standard. You cannot say my job. They'll be like, okay, so I'm so sorry, you don't understand that you hold your own professional license, so now you're saying that you're an extension of who? You're not an MA, you're not a rad tech, so I'm so sorry, you don't understand. I'm sorry, did you want to go to 217.11? And you're going to get smacked down. There's just mm-hmm. no, I'm not telling you it's right. This is the stuff I've seen over the last decade that we're getting smacked down with, and then you, you don't have a defense. And yeah. then good luck in a civil case. Wow, that's yeah. theater. We've all seen some of the stuff. It's not really about the truth, right? Because some of the evidence isn't even admissible. And now... Go to the Walgreens. That's your jury who you're going to try to. And there's a wolf nurse who's going to be looking at the jury with a 20 page report with reports and the policy and all the stuff you did not do. And then you're going to be asked all that in your deposition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to you have to answer to to your charting. And I we talked about this before, how the fact that, you know, like uh, somebody at Walgreens is your jury. Like I never think about charting in regards to layman terms, because, you know, if, if it's held up in court, it's, so I have to explain this to, you know, a jury has to be able to understand well, and it. Not, and some of it's not like I, one of the things I teach on my course, like number one, I start with is the, the basics, the chart. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't yeah. belong to you. It doesn't even belong to the patient. That the data is theirs, but the organization legally by law has to maintain it in a certain oh, I'm not gonna bore you with all those details. It is a form of communication between providers. It is not ours. Don't document like it's your journal. Don't do this stuff because then now who does the jury normally side with? Yeah. Not us. Yeah. You harm the patient. They think that we're greedy, that all the words, right? And they're going to play that up. They're going to put, put your paycheck up there. First of all, they're going to make you talk about how great a nurse you are. Oh, let's talk about your education. And you've been a critical care nurse. You're going to dig your hole for the first five to seven minutes. And they're going to be more than happy mm-hmm. to see you do it. I want to talk about, I want to like set up this episode talking about, you know, like court, like what court looks like, maybe the main reasons that nurses go and then kind of go into like how we can avoid it, you know, how how we can, (laughs) you know, pearls of your wisdom on avoiding litigation. So like, you know, what do you normally see? Like, what are the main reasons that we end up in court? You know, what are the biggest things that end up being litigated? So, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I never give legal advice. Yeah. And I always like to make that caveat. Um, I'm not, I do education and just because of my background um, and as an expert. So as far as like uh, civil cases, uh, a lot of the most cases are pressure ulcers. They're falls mm. that cause death or injury, any sentinel event, because that's low hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And oftentimes there'll be a case and so they'll be named you'll be named as a respondent superior that just means you work at the hospital everyone's name that was in the chart is in there right because they're they have a case they want money right so they put everyone's name anyone the dietary person who dropped off the food right everyone's name is listed in there so it can be kind of scary once they start looking around they're like no we're good we're going to sign you a check how how much did you say you wanted and so that never goes anywhere right it just Mm -hmm. they scare you tell you there's kind of a deposition which you need to know about but you also have rights but then you know it never goes anywhere or you get deposed 
whether you're, um, so all civil litigation, all civil, like I'm suing you, there's medical malpractice. There's the patient complains, they, they lost their leg, right? There was a balloon pump in and unfortunately this is real. Mm-hmm. And the nurses kept documenting the loss of pulse in the foot for six repeated hours um, and, and did nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So we go to deposition, but you know, they wrote a check. Cause again, you, I mean, how is that defendable? Uh, you documented yeah. repeatedly every 15 minutes that there was no pulse, right? This is an NCLEX question. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to hijack any nurse, right? But this nurse go on a further, took on more responsibility than they should have been. This patient was a one-to-one and they were charged. Yeah. Right. Can't yeah. Can't the person lost their leg. Ugh. And in that, like, you know, you need, like, because the whole, the whole, you know, point of their case is that they're trying to prove negligence in some way, gross you know, negligence. Gross. gross negligence. Right. And so, you know, making sure that you have that, that follow up on, you know, what you did, you can't just be charting no pulse for every 15 Rapid minutes for six code. hours. That becomes a code at that point. Cause you can't say the surgeon wasn't responding. You know, you're, they'll pull up an NCLEX question mm-hmm. and say, there's your NCLEX question. That was one of the five P's, right? Nurse, that's one of the five P's that you had to learn. Do you want us to go into the nursing education? Do, do you want us to go down that road with you? We're more than happy to in front of the jury. Absolutely. We'll go as far as you'd like us to. They're going to play you up as a dum-dum. Yeah. Right? So now they just qualify everything you just said, right? And yeah. there's the NCLEX question and you hold a professional license, right, nurse? So you will, you're required to know that question, right? That's a medical emergency. So you told no one about it. Right. And there is somebody in the courtroom, you mentioned a wolf nurse, you know, <laughs> like explain what a wolf nurse is, because sure. this is the person that's going to be in the courtroom explaining things to the jury, correct? Well, so the nurse that gets who establishes the um, standard of care is the expert. Yeah. The expert nurse is the one now may not necessarily be in the courtroom because that nurse is getting paid 300 to $600 an hour. Okay. So may not be in the cl- in the room. The attorney may ask her to come and sit in the or, or him to sit in the courtroom while people are being deposed or to come chime in. Because, again, a lot of stuff is Zoom to be a part of mm-hmm. the depositions, to listen to the depositions. But that nurse will be the expert nurse who has been identified, who says this is an ICU case. I've been an ICU nurse in the last five years. More, more often than not, anyone that's willing to get on the stand is a nurse has been about... 15 to 20 years, right? They're yeah. very comfortable in their practice. Teachers, yeah. PhD, oftentimes these are the nurses that are experts and mm-hmm. they'll have science and data, right? All to back up the policy. They're allowed to have every policy that they ask for. Now the other side will try to push back to it, but they'll have chain of command. They'll have all this stuff and written up a report and to establish with the jury to show the jury because it's not just me, Maggie, saying it. I have to show you based, yes, on my knowledge, but also Mm -hmm. with science. And I'm teaching the jury and the judge what the standard of care is. And for that facility, for that specific hospital, for the not necessarily for that hospital, for that, uh, like, like, let's go back to the, the checking the pulse in the leg. That mm-hmm. nurse is going to bring up all the research. Can a nurse only can opine or give their opinion on another nurse? Physician only is allowed to speak on another physician. So the nurse's opinion will be based on, you know, all the stuff that we know. Elsevier, Lippincott. Uh, okay. You know, we'll bring up science and just say, yeah. you know. Standard nursing, evidence-based. But have to dumb it down. From. 
right for the jury and the judge to say, this is why we do it. A loss of pulse is a medical emergency. That's why their reports are sometimes 20, 30 pages long prior to getting to a deposition. The Wolf nurse has produced an in-depth report showing the deviation. That's why there's a case. Mm, there wouldn't yeah. be a case if there wasn't deviations. So there'll be a very lengthy um, report that I see. the judge and the jury will have tangible to review with all the attachments in the exhibit or whatever she has, he, she has from all that stuff, the, uh, a policy highlighted. Mm -hmm. There's the deviations. This is what the nurse didn't do. Right. It says right here, the nurse should use the chain of command. And so that's her job. His job is to educate the judge and the jury because they're lay people. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. What's your opinion on like malpractice insurance? Everyone should do have it. Everyone should have it. Because think about if you get fired from that organization, then who, who responded superior does cover you under their malpractice. Everyone, PTO, anyone who works in the building, right? You have to be bonded. We're all covered under respondent superior. Now you get terminated and or, mm. right? Imagine, because you know, every physician has their own lawyer, right? right? For a reason. Yeah. The facility has their own. Now you're the primary nurse and you caused, it could have been just a medication error, right? But it's because of you. And now yeah. who's cutting their checks? So if you're the primary nurse, yeah. you might want to have your own legal team. And it, do you have $20,000 to write for someone to come and represent you? So, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, you could be like terminated from, you know, the situation that you're in. And then and now you're standing you know, in front of the board of nursing and that malpractice insurance will get you an administrative lawyer as well. So it covers both. It will never cover a criminal. And this is what, $10, $15 a month, give up two Starbucks and, and there you are. I mean, it's, you just call them like your home or car insurance. And I always tell nurses, start with your own, start with your own car home insurance. Cause you know what they want? Your money. They oftentimes underwrite and you don't even know, and you're going to get a discount because you already have my car and home policy with them. I'm a nurse. I work at the bedside in the ICU, right? You work in the ICU. This is what I do. And then they tell you, yeah. yep, yep, yep. And then we'll need $11 a month there, Maggie. Go ahead and send that on over. Yeah. It ends up being, you know, it's such an easy, it's just a couple clicks, you know? Yeah. And you can't wait. And nurses all the time when they reach out to me, they're under investigation. And I'm like, well, so it doesn't work like that. They do have restrictions that you can't hit them up. And I don't know, I don't know all the rules. I think it's within three or six months of retaining that policy. I think it's like a car accident as well. You can't get in a car accident and then be like, get the insurance. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Mm, okay. Gotcha. Well, and I'm sh maybe there's like questions on the, uh, you know, like, are you currently being, you yes. know, you can't lie. Don't ever lie. Right. I tell nurses, please. That I was told when I was an investigator to go back to the time you're 18. So please don't lie on anything. Again, some of the stuff I talk about is not necessarily right, but you will be trolled in some states. So if you lie about something, again, now that's falsifying documentation. It's unprofessional conduct. Now they got to slap one more violation against you. I was taught to use microfish. Microfish? Yeah. What Say that, that again. Exactly, Maggie. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm old and you're not. It's like looking under the microscope when you put that, you know, when you, had, you just go to the library, that's how it's taught to look you up to see. Because again, uh -huh. if you're an older nurse, right, we were doing stuff differently. Like if you, I mean, that's why yeah. I'm here, sister. That's why I'm here. Oh. Don't stand in front of a board, please. So what, 
what kind of things can we be doing, you know, day to day to avoid litigation in regards to our charting? What are, what are like some of the biggest things that we need to be focusing on um, in our charting to avoid? To Please avoid? stop copying and pasting. That's never, ever, mm-hmm. ever legal. Never, yes. never. And I just read from a legal nurse who's an audit trail expert. And you know what she loves? That kind of stuff. Yeah, typos. Case, that's a gift. <laughs> typos from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Well, <laughs> to or 4 they copied, they've copied and pasted repeatedly. Physicians do it. Nurses do it. Yeah. That's fraudulently documenting. And I think I get, about that in, in, in doc notes all the time. I'll read them and I'll be like, this makes zero sense. You know, you're like, this is no longer the plan. You know, it just, it's, yeah. I know and now because we don't think about screen. it. Yep. Yeah. Now it's on a big screen and now I want you to defend it. It's not a big deal until it is. So yeah. stop with the copying and paste. That shouldn't even be a feature allowed on any of these EMRs unless it's coming from a smart phrase, right? You have a smart phrase for pick line dressing change. You do the same thing. You look at the policy uh, and this is a gift follow that policy. I'm like writing it, my smart phrase, then I can adopt that to the patient that I'm caring for, but I'm not copying my assessment from 8 a.m. because it's the same at 10 a.m. No, you're not. Assessment unchanged. No. Or you do, you document in the wrong patient's chart. You're not deleting that from anyone's chart. You're striking mm-hmm. through it and you're writing a mistaken entry. That's the equivalent of re- ripping up a piece of paper. Would you ever rip up a physical medical record? No, holy cow, you cannot delete. And we've normalized this too much in our world. And then you have sites that do it. They allow it. Your leaders will tell you to do it. And it's not defendable. This is a simple Google search. Law firms love when nurses do this or doctors do this. This is easily attainable through an audit trail. And she said, Epic, I read this. 3,600 options for capture, which a nurse doesn't understand, that's hijacking you every second. Mm. Every second in an audit trail, you delete something, you do something, or you're on a page and they're clocking you. So if you, like, let's say you document something Mm. wrong, you know, like if you, like, what what is the most appropriate way to correct that? Mistaken entry. Mistaken entry. Like, so... Let's say, let's say like, you know, for example, like an IV will say was, you know, clean, dry and intact, whatever at 8am and then you check at noon and it's leaking and like, you know, you put clean, dry and intact and you're like, actually, no, it like was leaking at noon. Like I should chart that. So would you, how do you fix that? So you already... In the EMR, because again, this is a lot of drop down stuff, because more often than not, yeah. yeah. So you've already hit save and send that? Yeah. Okay, so that's done. So if you alter that, that would be the equivalent of you ripping up a piece of paper. Because imagine now you're coming back an hour or two later. Would you cross that out on a piece of paper, say, nah, that's not how, would you X through it or, or white out that or strike through it? Yeah. You could strike through it and just say, you know what, I mean, mistaken entry, you know, reassessment done. Um, and then just clarify, you know, it was leaking, whatever it is you did at the, at the, the, the time you're not perfect. Yeah. Right. Don't hold but yourself to the standard. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of like being intentional about what you're yes. charting and making sure that you're, you know, you have the time to like, think about, I feel like there's so many, so many times I'll be, you know, charting on one patient, you know, like doing my assessment, but I'm 
thinking about the other patient. And so then I'll be like, you know, thinking about my assessment of the other one while I'm charting the one for the, that's dangerous because then, you you know, and then like, I'll be charting like the respiratory assessment that I'm thinking about with the other one. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 like, I got to go back, you know? Yeah. Just like, you have to like really spend the time and like catch yourself and make sure that you're writing everything correctly. I tell nurses, try to do it in real time. Like in the charting class, I really like, if you can pull the computer in there, if you can do anything in real time, I know it's time consuming. I I know it is, but now I'm talking about your license. Does that be different? I mean, you, even just the abnormal, you know, even, even the stuff that you just, you know, you're like, okay, this stuff I need to remember, (laughs) just put that in there. And then like everything else, like, you know, fill in the blanks later. That's, I, I agree. You've got to make a note if there's a deviation. I mean, you've got to, who you talk to. Because now, again, now you got busy and it's not documented. And now it's a year yeah. later. Do you remember? Go, go tell me who that was. Stop. You know yeah. what I mean? Take the time. You know what I mean? Make sure that you're doing real-time documentation, if at all possible. What about care plans? Do you feel? Oh, God. I know because <laughs> I care plans are a mess. And like, I understand why I kind of, I mean, they're like, you know, the basics of our nursing care, right? They're supposed to like guide what we do, you know, based on these, these, you know, different at risk things, but like nobody reads them and they're like a drop down thing. They're never individualized. And like, I look at these care plans and I'm like, this is, you know, it it says like smoking cessation, like discuss with the patient about smoking. They're intubated. Like, you know, there's, I'm not, I'm not doing this, but like, it's just so many, like, if you don't do that, it just makes, it's just this long, long document that nobody reads, but then that's your name underneath this note. And so like you, you have to know, you know, like, It'll be under GI, be like, ensure NG tube is, is in the right place. Ensure the peg tube is in the right place. And you just like click both of them. Like, do they have both? No, it just like, it, it's, it's such a ridiculous document. And I, I feel like it's one of my pet peeves because I feel like Epic could, or, Ep, you know, whatever documentation, uh, EMR that you use that it could, that's like a nursing informatics thing that I think that needs to be changed in our favor. Because Did you I hear think that, that world? Did you hear that? We need we need some help out here, nurses. <laughs> yeah, right. Nursing informatics. Come on, epic teams. But yeah, yeah because that is a newer discipline. Actually, if you think about in the big world of nursing, I mean, because this is an advanced degree, and honestly, there wasn't that many advanced degrees at a certain time. So that is a yeah. newer discipline for us, and I think it's essential. And I'm not trying to disrespect any nurses, but I think that you should spend some time at the bedside before you go on to get this informatics degree because you go straight through and then you know what I mean they have no idea about what even like natural flow is and anything to work on you got some smarticles but you got no actually you never touched anything yeah so you need to merge those two same I feel like with a nurse practitioner you know what I mean you're going on and not touching a patient for at least five years and you're getting this advanced degree part of the problem is you have nothing to draw from same with a nurse going to hospice or home health what are you drawing from nothing no yeah. No, and that's where I see nurses getting in a lot of trouble because they do stuff and or you and I have seen sick patients. So I yeah. can look at someone like you can look at someone and say, ooh, 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 and I don't need to quantify with anything. This is not good. But someone right. who has nothing to draw from, you're in a home setting, you have what? No resources at all. 
and then yeah. I digress, and then they don't document, and then they don't call 911, but... Um, no, back to charting. It's, it's, it's huge, huge, huge. It is absolutely the care plan. I have seen charting, like you said, to nasal cannula, like they've been off for like a week. Yeah. And I'm like, stop it. But it is the standard we're held to. It is. We create nursing diagnoses that go along the medical diagnoses. And when it's up on the big screen, you know what that expert, that wolf nurse is going to be opining about? Yeah. What's in our lane? Or even like. You know, in the care plan, a lot of times it's, you know, the care plan is whatever just automatically comes up from the EMR. Like, you know, if you chart on a Braden scale or something that they're at risk for skin integrity, then like that's the only thing that pulls through in the care plan. And so in your care plan, the only thing that you're looking at is skin integrity. Like you have to go through, you're like, oh, they're here for pneumonia. They're intubated. Like, they have a respiratory issue. You have to like, you know, chart on that. They're mechanically ventilated. That's also part of the care plan. Like yeah. you have to individualize it. It's not just skin. Like, right. you know, it's just. And part of this is that there should be like an admission nurse for that, like very reason. Cause again, sometimes you're so caught up that you're just like the smoking sensation. A lot of people don't realize that's tied to a core measure. And so, you know, the hospital is yeah. not going to get paid if they ding on this, right? Vaccine, smoking sensation. These are all things that will get that as a core measure. And so if you yeah. don't meet that, then so I, but I tell nurses, this is what you're held to. That will be up yeah. on the big screen, you know, and the other thing that I'm big on is stop documenting noncompliance. Don't even get out of the habit of using that word because now it's on the big screen. And now I just brought up your nursing care plan. So you said they are noncompliant with the, um, their CPAP. So you, you talk to RT, right? So show me a note where you talk to RT. You called mm-hmm. respiratory therapy down. What resources did you give them about masks, about, you know, did you, did you talk about like nasal prongs? Because we did a simple Google search in here. Did you talk to them about anything? You just called them non-compliant nurse. Don't do that. So yeah. I document all that stuff. And then you document or I tell the nurse, to, the nurses to document that patient made a personal choice. You see how yes. that sounds less offensive and people are allowed to make their own choices. And then all yes. the education that you did is there. And then you write that the patient made a personal choice, not their way of their CPAP, reinforced educa- education. Yeah. And you did not, you label them as non-compliant. Yeah. You, they have a personal choice. So please stop like- documenting that. I feel like that in itself is such an issue that we forget that people have their own ability to make bad choices. That's just exactly. people, you know, if they don't want to wear, you know, if they're COPD or in the ICU and their CO2 is 90 and they don't want to wear the CPAP, that is their choice. You know, <laughs> like that it's just like you can't, you know, restrain somebody. I mean, you also can't wear BiPAP if, you know, anybody's restrained. But like right. you can't yes. force yes. somebody to, you know, right. do something that is, ju- is you know, if they don't want to do it. I mean, people have the choice to be. But we're to- obligated because we do have and we do have a duty and that is a loaded word to educate you, to give you some yeah, options. Absolutely. But after that, you are allowed. You talk to your doctor and you that, that's not on me. I educated yeah. you. I did my you know, you know what the possible outcomes in. I let your doctor know, hey, dude, he's not wearing a CPAP. Like I'm call I'm letting the doc know. Because if I'm documenting that I'm letting the physician know, and that's on him. And and maybe it's not like I'm giving him a call, right? I mean, in rounds, I'm just saying as well, hey, you know, he's not wearing a CPAP. We've educated him stuff. I just want you to know that, 
You know what I mean? And then in my note, I'm documented that I let Dr. Yeah. Smith know, not in a comfort, not in an ugly manner. It doesn't have to look ugly. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be offensive. It is your duty to let the doctor know you're not managing that patient's care. You're part of the team, but the doctor is managing this patient's care. And you have a duty to let the doctor know that the patient is choosing not to wear their CPAP after you've done all your education. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like, I feel like we think that there is a more of a risk of litigation if, if somebody, you know, like Chrome makes a personal choice. Yeah. And so that instead of and then you have this like moral distress when it's like eliminate that moral distress, do what you need to do, like educate the patient. And then if they make the decision to not do something that's on them, you know, they're competent. They've been found to be competent. The only time it becomes an issue is if they're not competent, they're a child, you know, minors, obviously this is not applicable to, right? Someone who's not competent, that's not true. We have to protect these people, but you know, we're not talking about these people. You know, you document this, they choose not to do it. Then that's, that's not on you. So have you ever encountered something where somebody's competency was taken away, like inappropriately? From a nurse or a patient side? From the patient, like from a, from a patient side. Like if they were like non-compliant with something or like they were just refusing to not do this like life-saving thing and they're like, obviously they're, you know, incompetent or something. Like is that, has that ever Yeah. Happened? I mean, I've worked at like level one trauma centers. Oftentimes you'll see that with um, the ethics committee gets involved. Yeah. Ethics gets yeah. involved and we don't, right, because we don't, that's something that's never taken lightly and we yeah. never remove anyone's rights or uh, allow them not to be competent. That's not a decision that I'm any RN makes. Right. Um, that's yeah. a physician provider. But yes, I have been involved where they have found the patient not competent or and or risk to themselves, suicidal mm-hmm. or homicidal. And then they don't write someone they're they they're getting their rights taken away from for whatever period of time. Yeah. Um, so I've right. seen that a lot in the emergency room and in the ICU where they have to emergently detain them. But I just mm-hmm. went to a meeting, I don't know, like three or four months ago where it was done by the lead counselor for Baylor because there was some new litigation that was passed about emergently detaining people. And let me like, these people have rights. And as a nurse, you better make sure you know what that means. If you're working in an emergency room setting or an emergency room setting, and she was giving, it was a CE. So I went to this to be, to get a CE, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'm very also about nurses, you know, not just writing a check for some CEs. It's, you know, try to get involved in stuff like this is very impertinent. Like I was asking questions. Like, I'm like, wait, 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 you're saying the provider is supposed to inform, please define provider. Cause it's not yeah. within my scope of practice to be telling yeah. the patient. So I want to clarify that and make sure that's clarified. And that a policy reflects that within the organization, yeah. because the nurse shouldn't be held accountable for what an MD should be explaining to the patient. No. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What about, I know we had talked about this um, in a previous conversation about starting education of these types of like documentation practices in nursing school. You know, like we were talking about how, you know, if you jump into, you know, some of these like outpatient, like remote positions that require like a lot of experience and stuff that because you need that like, you know, groundwork, otherwise you you know, going into those things blind. I think like one of the ways that kind of tied into me a little bit for, you know, 
setting up these things in nursing school and like getting getting some experience on like how to chart and and like what is important to chart and why it's important you know that's I agree and I've, I've reached out to instructors I've had um, like nursing students will reach out to me new grads will reach out to me because they're desperate for that kind of knowledge yeah. even when I talk about the soapy note people are like I've never seen this I'm like a soapy note what? yeah what are you yeah seeing? I feel like they don't do well I think they do they it seems like they do them in different you know in a different format now, well, they're but- trying to discourage away from this. And, and, and let me just break it down for you, just so we all understand, because I'm 23 years in, when you're like five years in, you're drowning in medical terminology. You cannot look up. You don't even know what's happening around you. You get five years out, you're looking around a little bit, you get a decade in and you're jaded. You're jaded mm-hmm. up, right? I'm 20 years in, I have no <laughs> illusion. When I walk into a facility, it is a business. Do not forget that. You're walking into the business of healthcare when you clock into your job. So why have they moved to EMRs? Cost capture. Don't kid yourself. Now, because they can capture anything. And I've worked in areas, like especially procedural areas, where we're told, because if I'm doing real-time documentation during a procedure, which does happen, let's just say in the cath lab, and Mm -hmm. I'm told, because I'm the one documenting in the control room, it's real-time documentation, he's capturing, he just shot die to, you know, the renals. That's a cost capture, sister. Yeah. The next one, I just shot cores or coronaries or that's a different cost capture, sister. Yeah. I mean, so do you understand that a lot of things that they do and they why they want you to check boxes because they need to cost capture everything. It's not yeah. set up there for us, right? It's not set up there. It is efficient. It is more efficient, right? That's logical, right? You can yeah. click box. But then we get away from learning how to write a note. We get so reliant on these box checks. And, and there are good ones for, all, for like potassiums too. And the patient's having an arrhythmia. That's a great dr- template. I love it. I tell nurses to use it. Then you're not forgetting something, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I did. This is the doctor I'm following up that I'm coming back to the template, but you still got to like something happens. You code the patient, you know, they go into an arrhythmia. Then that's not a Dropbox situation. Yeah. That's a, that's a note. And code then situations are, like, documentation for codes is a mess. I don't and, like, uh, what, it, what is that like? Can you talk to that a little bit? Because I had to do code documentation recently. It was a 65-minute code. It was freaking long. And, you know, I, like, you know, it ends up just being, like, time-stamped, like, every two minutes, you know, every, you know, epi given, like, CPR resumed, you know, shocked at 200 joules, like, you know, and it was, like, this long thing. I'm like, I, you know, this is what we did. You know, I think, um, yeah. Like I, I put like a little blurb about like how the pr- patient presented, but you know, that's it. And they have I, in the EMR, they have this like flow sheet chart thing that you can use. And I think to, in order to do it in real time, but it's so complicated. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. I just put in a, put in a note. Cause I'm like, this is just, I don't know. Is this, is this the entirety of what I should be charting other than like, you know, scanning in meds and stuff like after the fact, we scan everything in and, you know, document like everything in the MAR, like what we gave and stuff. But like, does that suffice? Well, so let's unpack that. So I've also taught ACLS. So first and foremost, were you the primary nurse or were you running to the code? You're on the code team. What was your I, role? I ran to the code. I okay. I was the um, the scribe. 
Okay. So just so again, never any judgment, right? When I talk about stuff, it's just in a factual manner. You have an ACLS card, correct? You took yes. the education. You said, I, I am, I know all of these roles and I'm willing to stand and do any of these roles when I respond yeah. to a code. Okay. Yeah. So you come to the code and you choose because you chose to be the scribe. Because yeah. at that time, you have to say, if you don't feel competent, you need to say, I am not comfortable doing this in this role. So right. I tell nurses that from foremost, because that is a legal piece of documentation that is protecting everyone that's there. So yeah. I tell nurses, you know, be very comfortable with that. When they, when I teach ACLS, I'm like, if you want this printed out, we'll go talk to the educator, take it home. There's no patient information on it. So that you understand that this is in, the, like you said, every three minute increment, and this will literally be on the big screen and they will talk about this as your only role. Yes or no. Yes. And it needs to be very, very, very detailed. Um, mm -hmm. And I tell nurses, because again, like you, I can't do it in the computer. Stop it. Right. I'll get the, the downtime one off the crash cart and that's what I use. And then mm -hmm. I'm making sure that those box are checked because I've seen it on the big screen and this nurse was under uh, it was actually risk management who came to give testimony um, that because part of the code, the recorder was not checked boxing that the patient was being bagged. Now, you know, like I do, that was happening simultaneously, but you know, it wasn't documented. So we talked about earlier, right? The gross negligence, you know how it becomes gross negligence when they can show repeated conduct and violations. So you know why they highlighted that co-sheet? Because it was just one more thing to, there's one more thing to add to the list of things that you clearly don't know how to do as a system, moved mm -hmm. it into gross negligence. So okay. make sure that you understand like, okay, and my only job is I'm not taking any task. I'm the recorder. Stop. We're at three minutes. Are you giving epi? What are we doing? And then you do have to ask the uncomfortable things. I'll go over and grab your badge. You know why you're doing? What's your name? Because I have to write your name on this right? I got to know who's here, right? Mm -hmm. And then your only job is, right? If it's time for epi, why aren't we doing it? Are we shocking? Why aren't we doing it? And you need to make sure we're writing a little note. Who's running the code? So why yeah. aren't we shocking? Because that was a shock rhythm. I need to write it down. Because again, yeah. three years from now, we're not, we're not going to remember that. So what rhythm is it? Am I, we're following the algorithm. If there was a deviation from the algorithm, that needs to be make sure that that's written on there for whatever reason. Uh, the same one I'm referencing, they pulled um, Ramazicon. This patient was an MRI. They pulled mm -hmm. Ramazicon, so you already know what was given, but never gave it. And then uh, the mm -hmm. primary nurse had been chasing his blood sugar and Hispanic male. No one does a blood sugar. It's not documented anywhere on there. So, and not only that, if you pulled Ramazicon, I know I've given Ramazicon or seen it given once in my career. You know why? Because you will cause that patient to seize if you do not know their benzo history. So mm. oftentimes you will never see it reversed or given that we'll support someone's airway. We'll put in an ET tube and let you ride out that benzo, but we're not reversing that. Narcan all day long. Narcan all day long, but it's rare. The one and only time, and I begged Anastasia not to give it, they had nicked her artery. It was a, it was a neuro case. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, do she not respond? I wasn't even the primary nurse. I was helping out another nurse. I was like, she's not responding. She is not responding. And her JP is pulsating. And I set up the stuff because I'm going to, we need to secure her airway. We need to get her to a level one. It's not here. And Anastasia yeah. came over and he was like, Ramazicon. I was like, dude, don't give Ramazicon. No, Narcan, secure her airway. Yeah, no. Yeah. And he wanted it given and she seized. Uh, and so, but 
digressing, way digressing, going back to the code sheet, they pulled Ramazicon but wrote no reason why they didn't give it. So, you know, it's questioned all through that case. So yeah. you charged the patient for Ramazicon and you didn't give it. Mm. The one thing that could have maybe saved his life. No one knows that, but it's theater. I already told you it's theater. The one drug, the wonder drug that could have saved this person's life and you pulled it and didn't give it and you charged him for it. That doesn't look good. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. look good. Doesn't look they're good. They're painting so, a picture. They're making a case. I, those are the very words I use in my course as well. What will the picture be painted of the conduct that happened? Some of yeah. the stuff I'm telling you is not always right. So if you choose to be the recorder, just know that's a big job. It yeah. is a lot bigger than people really realize. And I'm not faulting anyone here, sister. You know I'm not. I just want yeah, yeah. you when you choose to do that, that you understand. Not only that, not sure. everyone involved is in litigation now. Right. Because you yeah. said it was a code. So more likely that's a higher percent that that's going to go to to litigation just by merely being a code. Right? Yeah. Think about that statistically. And yeah. now how many people stood there and we're all dependent on your documentation to protect us to yeah. a certain degree. Now, the, the doctor's going to write his note. Right. I respond to the code. My 30 minute critical, whatever it was. Right. The primary nurse should always be writing their own independent notes mm. um, okay. as well. Um is it okay that I, because I was the scribe, so I put that in the chart as the scribe. It shouldn't, you know, like, is that correct? Or should that yes. be the primary nurse? No, okay. there should be okay. more than one note. The primary nurse, yeah, yeah. she's probably writing something different. Right. I called the code. She yeah. needs to say, I was doing all these things. And she really does need to say that. I recognized, I accelerated. I didn't, I quickly moved from a rapid or whatever, because that matters. Right, yeah, that yeah. recognized and got to a higher level of care. And sometimes as ICU nurses, and this is where I grew up, like we don't call codes. Yeah, you do. I've seen people say that in a cath lab and they perf the LAD and we had no one else. And I said, I, that's, I screamed and I said, call code now, call a code. That person would have died. Yeah. She lived, she lived because I acted immediately. And I'm not trying to, to toot my own horn, but if they, if I had not code, called a code, we perfed her LAD, the widow maker. Oh man. Yeah. So don't get caught up in that stuff. I was like, I don't, I don't care. You call a rapid. If you're not sure, take shaming from your people all day long and I will stand yeah. next to you. We don't shame one another. If a nurse has right. a question, please support her. Right. Maybe this and, and maybe some suggestions on the back end. Right. So had yeah. you seen this or this, maybe, you know, and got some help. You know what I mean? And not try to fault people. Oftentimes yeah. they're taking on eight patients. You think I can see everything when I have right. eight people? I can't. I'm yeah. human. Absolutely. I'm human. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. So I, I used to work in acute care for seven years before I worked in ICU. And there when, was what like does that a, mean? When you say acute care? care? Oh, like, like four to five patients. Oh, yeah. As opposed to one <laughs> to two. Like med surge. It was a, you know... I did travel, so, you know, a bunch of different places, but, but like, um, there was a stigma on calling, uh, the rapids because like the team would be like, why didn't, you know, why didn't you talk to us first or something? And it's like, if you did, it's like, I mean, you know, I did, but, and then that, you know, that causes some like moral distress for the nurse. Like, should I do something? That's why I think there is, you know, in the EMR now, they kind of like took that like blame away like for sepsis situations it's like good. okay the, they meet criteria so automatically met was called sorry about it you know good so that kind of like you know rids you of like yeah. that but 
yeah yeah it's yeah that's what we do to one another sometimes is just and I, I don't encourage that early on but once you become seasoned and stuff stop we're all trying yeah. to do the best that we can. We all bring different stuff to the table, try to meet someone where they're at and try to support them. There are going to be nurses, especially right now. Do you know that there are nurses that have never touched a patient? And because the governor overturned all that in every single state, there was law that was overturned that they didn't have to meet the 50% in-person clinical for obvious reasons. Mm. Or no one would have graduated any discipline, right? That's not just our yeah. nurses, it's every discipline. So they're literally nurses. All they did was Sims. Like, is there education and is there an organization that supports Sims? Yes, I've recently came on my purview. This is a great way to learn, but it doesn't take the place of that in conjunction with touching someone. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Are there situations you think that we, is there such a thing as overcharting? Yes. Should we, you know, and what does that look like as opposed to, you know, like, you know, dotting your T's, crossing dotting your eyes, crossing your T's. What's the difference there? Sure. When nurses like feel like they have to like write out this huge note and it's like the assessment's unchanged. Like why, why mm. do you feel like you need to, or copy and paste it? So you did something fraudulently copy and pasting to say when you could have said documentation still, I mean, assessment unchanged. You are allowed to say that. There's, mm. there's nothing wrong with that. And then I'll see what there's a clear, like you talked about, there's a clear deviation, but that's not what you said in the care plan or in the, that's, you said something different than what you're charting and, or why are you going to make a note about something when maybe there wasn't even a deviation and, or your check boxes are okay, right? There yeah. wasn't a deviation. Like you initially, you, you, you selected once. Is someone being on an oxygen, a deviation from a lung assessment it, it, or a respiratory assessment? It is. You don't got to document it 12 times. You yeah. addressed it once. She's O2 dependent at home. You know what you're not fixing? Her COPD. So no one expects you to be weaning this off. Right now, it's a pneumonia patient or whatever. You're supposed to be weaning that off. You know what I mean? You see how that's different? Yeah. But stop, don't, stop documenting stuff or not addressing stuff. Like no one is expecting you to get the COPD or off the oxygen. So stop with that. I was thinking about um, specifically like they have there's a smart phrase that you can use in your care plan called like the end of shift summary and it's blank essentially so you can write a little blurb about what happened you know during your shift and you know in talking having in having this conversation I'm like is that double charting because like that's you know I already I charted in the flow sheets what happened during the day you know, if the if the chart doesn't belong to me and it doesn't belong to the docs, like I, you know, then I'm just giving this little synopsis that's, you know, um, digestible for whoever, right. as opposed to like what's what's in the chart, you know, like because I I like to write one because it does <laughs> because, like I said, the care plan, nobody reads Right. Because it's just like ridiculous documentation. But, you know, the summary is a digestible piece of like what happened in the shift that the docs may or may not read. But I'm wondering, like, you know, should I even be like writing that? Or if I do choose to write it, do I need to be more intentional about what I'm writing? Well, so I would first and foremost, does your pol does the if the hospital policy says that you're supposed to be writing an end of shift note, which I've seen before, 
then you, then you got to write an internship note. Yeah. Try to follow that structure. But let's just say there is no policy and your shift was, you know, you're in an intensive care unit. Now, was I going up and down on the pressers? Was I doing all this stuff? And I just want to summarize it in a package because that's what I'm handing off. And I'm saying like, I, that's is what I let the other nurse know. You got two more runners that you got to go, you know, whatever it is that I'm, I'm doing. We're, you know, in the weaning process, the last gas was this as part of your handoff so that, you know what I mean? This is what I told the nurse basically in the handoff was, you know, so there's mm. no mystery now in yeah. a med surge unit, you know, or in some of these other unit, is that always going to be feasible? It may not be mm. right. And again, what is the requirement of your unit? And if you're checkboxing stuff and your nursing notes have reflected that, you know, are you double charting? Are you, you know, you know what I mean? But the patient had a fall and now you're tying this up on a bow. You checked on them, all the stuff. I would be writing a note, but yeah. you do have to be careful when it's, you know, especially when it's something that's possibly, uh, this is a litigious society. You're just supposed yeah. to be keeping it to the facts. It's a form of communication between the providers. You call the provider, create a note, something yeah. happens, write a note. You do an assessment, write a note. Don't and you can like group some of these things together as well that we oftentimes forget about, like some of the stuff that just seems little, but, you know, reposition the patient and group these things together, water, whatever it is that you did, and then make one little, you know, brief note or smart phrase like you reference. If you do the same thing every single time, because you know what that looks like on the big screen, prudency. And you mm -hmm. did it. You did it. Right. You did it. And you can create some of these smart phrases, because if you're doing the same thing all the time, you and I both know that you do. Yeah. Then, then give yourself some credit for that. There's nothing wrong with using that and tailoring it to what you're doing, but you're not copying it and pasting it from another patient from a chart. Sure. You see sure. What, I mean? what are some really <clears throat> helpful smart phrases or and like what are some that you're like, don't don't write that in your like we talked about noncompliance, you know, like Continue what are some phrases? Way. Yeah, yeah, like that. Like what yeah, what are some that you're like, don't do that, or like this is what you should write instead? So that you're continuing to monitoring. Really tell me about it. What is it? Clueless in here. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's gonna be obvious, but why do you feel like you need you're you're monitoring what? Now if you're monitoring yeah. the patient's blood pressure because you they got two beta blockers and their pressure was a hundred, I'm watching their map. I Love it. You know what I mean? Monitoring the map, you know, got an order from the doctor, whatever it is. But, you know what I mean? You don't have to write that 12 times, though. We know you told me once you got mm -hmm. the order and that you're continuing to monitor. I can see you wrote some vital signs. They're staying within that. I think it's great. You held one blood pressure medication because you called the doctor again. I think that's great. You know what I mean? But stop mm -hmm. writing, continue to monitoring. What, what are you monitoring? Yeah. Like, or, be specific. Um, like I told the doctor. That was it. Yeah. And MD notified. What? I mean, and the patient's like, you know, struggling to breathe or that's not how it works. That's not how it works for us. You've got yeah. to call. You already talked about that. You got to call the rapid. You got to do you gotta escalate whatever that needs. Yes. And then that's where your nurse practice act comes into effect as well. And they will smack you with that. And that's a really good point, because I think that people normally when they write MD notified, they think like, OK, I did my did my part, but that's not, you know, if you're still concerned about the patient, then, and you know, there's, they are in a potentially, you know, decompensating situation. You have to like continue, you know, you Advocate. have to go up the chain and, and document that you did that. 
right? You, you have a duty to the patient. That's the loaded word they will use against you. And I can yeah. tell you my state, 1514, and I'm going to quote to you. This was passed in 1983. says that I have a duty to the patient that supersedes a hospital policy or a physician order. That was a nurse working in an emergency room setting in the 80s. So we're not like there's not like all the STEMI stuff, right? That's not a thing. Um, right. The first stent is placed in the late eight, uh, 70s, 80s. So this is a new discipline. Patient comes in, small ER, Texas. Doc's like, nah, send him down the road, sister. She sends him down the road. Well, you know what happens, right? This is a stem, uh, heart attack. He dies. Mm. There's litigation. They try to report the board of the nur- to the board of nursing saying, no, she was following the doctor's order. Texas Board of Nursing said, that's fine. We are now putting a position statement in place in 1983 that says that you have a duty to the patient that supersedes the hospital policy of the physician order. You do not work for the hospital. You do not work for the physician. I tell nurses all the time, some of the stuff I talk about is not necessarily right, but you do not work for that organization. Your duty supersedes all of it. We are their last defense. And now it's Mm -hmm. you. And now it's you. Who do you, who would you want you to stand up or protect you? Who do you know whose duty it is? The person standing right there, that's the nurse's duty. That's the integrity of our profession. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's loaded because, you know, if you like if there's an order in there that you don't agree with, you know, you need to stand up and talk about that and make sure because that will be on your, you know, your license is on the line. You can't say like I was just following orders, you know, not as the thing. Not as the LPN. If you're an MA, if you're a respiratory therapist, if you're a radiology technologist, you fall under the medical board and you are really an extension of the doctor. Nurses, RNs, we are unsupervised. LPNs have to be supervised, but we have our own independent license, independent of physician. So our Mm -hmm. boards even recognize that. And again, some of the stuff I did, sister, I didn't know all this stuff before I was at the board, but the stuff that I've seen over the last decade that they will use against you and they do take it very serious. The, The board has a duty to protect the public, right? Their mission is not us. And I don't think a lot of nurses realize that or to the severity of that, whether you fall under HHS, DHS, ALJ, governor, you have a traditional structure as a board of nursing, their duty is to the public and not to us. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to go over some, you know, like scenarios, some of those, yeah. some of those situations that, you know, proved time and time again to be, you know, like you said, pressure ulcers falls, like the most common litigation things and like how we should document for, for these scenarios. So like, let's say your patient fell, let's say, you know, they like, how should you be documenting? You know, obviously, like, depending on the facility, you're probably going to have to write some quality report, some, you know, like, uh, yeah, quality initiative, whatever, whatever they call them. Like an incident report or a minor. Yeah, incident report. And then you also have to write a note, like, in the chart. Correct. Correct. You know, mostly. So what things do you need to make sure that you have in that documentation? Well, you need to make sure that as the nurse that you've, you know, assessed the patient and that you're calling a rapid, you're calling a code, and that you're following the the policy. You're getting that patient to essentially a higher level of care or someone else looking because there are going to be various settings that this could happen. You're in a long-term care facility, you're calling 911 because that patient needs what? A higher level of care. Can an LPN triage? No. Right? Can an RN triage in that setting? 
right? They can do an assessment and call the provider, but more often than not, it's going to be a requirement to get to a higher level of care. Yeah. Um, and then you have to make sure that you're assessing what's happening, you know, what the extremity, we got an arm, we got a leg, right. we hit our head. Was there any loss of consciousness? Uh, is the patient on blood thinners? Because again, when you're giving your SBAR communication to the provider, those are things that you need to know as the nurse that you're giving in your SBAR. So situation, background, assessment, recommendation, yeah. um, patients on uh, Zeralto, sir, got it this morning, or Lovenox or heparin, ma'am. And then you're doing your assessment of neurovascular pain, um, yeah. all of it and following the policy. And if they continue to have pain, then they have to be reassessed. Yeah. Then what's happening? You know what I mean? What's going on? So you have to make sure that if they continue to complain of pain, you know, that the physician comes and assesses the patient and yeah. that they get seen by a higher level of care so that the appropriate interventions, imaging, whatever needs to happen, happens. And then you're writing a note. You're writing yeah. a note in the medical record in a, just a factual manner. I came into the room. The patient was on the floor. Um, no, you know, was alert oriented. You don't know if the patient had loss of consciousness. So you shouldn't write that. Did you? Yeah. Do you know? You don't. It was unwitnessed. And you need to say unwitnessed fall. Mm -hmm. um, patient found in room, whatever the words are. And then again, I hope that you had already written that you, you know, side rails were up, that the call right. was reached, that all that stuff had already yeah. been documented. You can sure write that now, but do you see how that, you know what I mean? If you're yeah. writing it after, like the, after fact, the fact, you see how that may look. So making sure that you're being diligent and like you said, intentional with your charting. Cause I know you were doing a lot of stuff. I know you saw the side rails were up, you checked them, you made sure, but you didn't give yourself credit for it. Yeah, you said the bar. You came into the room because the bed alarm came off, but no one knew that because you didn't document it. Yeah, right? when you document later, like if you're back charting, but you're charting for the first time, can you still pull up at what time something was charted? Yeah. So, like, yeah, like let's say it's 4 p.m. and your patient and you haven't done your assessment yet, like you haven't charted your assessment, so you're charting at 4 p.m. That you can see what time. That you charted the 8 a.m. assessment. Yes. It's, yeah. again, the common sense argument. No nurse expert, again, if they are, they're totally lying, can get on the stand and say, you know, they should have charted at this time. No, because, again, if you just, you show, uh, there was three codes. I am yeah. required to do the care first. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. so the standard is not the, the best practice is real time documentation. The patient's yeah. on the ground. You're not doing real time documentation. It's not yeah. it's not feasible. So you can come in in the time that you did the assessment or the care. You can document that. But you can't be in two rooms at one time. You cannot check the restraints at 8 a.m. on both patients. Because now that is up on the big screen. So tell us, oh, really, Maggie, you're that magical. So you were in room three and four at the same time. I'm just checking your documentation. And now you're inviting mm -hmm. them to troll all your records. So this looks like a pattern, right? It looks like you do this every single day. You fraudulently document, yeah. right? That's They'll ask you a fraudulent document. They'll make sure you know what that means before they ask you the question. So they'll make sure mm -hmm. you know, right? Because the first five minutes, they're going to ask you, so do you know what fraudulent? Of course I know what fraudulent is. Can you delete documentation? They're going to take you down this road. Then they're going to ask you about what you did. Yeah. And then you can't oh. say no. Yeah. Right. Gosh, it's like the standard. Charting <laughs> in real time. So, so important. And I mean, I, I appreciate that, you know, 
that understanding that like, you know, care comes first. And like, if you need to chart earlier in the shift, like it's just, you know, part of it, but it doesn't look good if you are charting a fall at 4 PM and then you start charting your shift assessment, you know, at 4:30. you know, because then like, you're obviously, you know, in retrospect, making sure that all your, everything is, you know, looks perfect. And it's all about optics and I'm not telling you it's right. Right. Cause it's theater, yeah. right. You may be the, you, you did it. You do it every single day and that's what will be your defense. Look at my other charts, right? I was busy. I was talking about this and in my normal practice, and that's the language you have to be comfortable saying, but you're not an expert, right? This yeah. is not what you do, right? Those words are not going to come to you easily. And nurses oftentimes very, feel very uncomfortable with all that stuff as they should, because we're the caretakers, right? We're not trying to worry about, you know, our defense, right? We're literally struggling just to take care of patients. Yeah. Right. And then they, you know, you get called up, Hey, come on down. Just a, de- just a deposition. Maggie, don't <laughs> worry about it next week. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? And then nurses don't realize as well that you have rights like that. Don't call me down in my shift. No, Mm -hmm. no lawyer Smith. Absolutely not, buddy. When I'm uh, not taking care of patients, I'm more than happy to come in and look at some case that you're saying that I'm involved with litigation. I'm more than happy to do that on my time and I am clocking in. And if they're asking you to open up a medical record, tell me the petition number, lawyer Smith, while I make a note in the medical record, because why am I in this medical record? You're still bound to HIPAA. You're can mm. say I'm looking at the medical record for a deposition, but okay. I say that, and this is the petition number, but do not. And that's on my schedule and you're not deposing me until I'm comfortable. No, yeah. no, this isn't contingent on me, buddy. No, you got 12 other people you could depose. Stop, move on. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Mm. When I review the case and I let, you know, I have been involved three years into my career. There's a pressure ulcer case and I was in the ICU and five minutes, sister, one of my other friends, she unfortunately lost her license. Mm. The, it became ridiculous because it crosses over into several courts of law because she's found negligent and I, I not rightfully mm-hmm. so couldn't get the patient on the bed quick enough. We're at Lackland in the trauma ICU during desert storm. No one's coming on to a level one trauma base and not getting clearance. It's the middle of the night. Do you think she could get her on one of these high dollar beds? Patient had femoral access, CRT, all the stuff, grossly unstable. Oh, I was writing, this is paper charting. This is Oh three. I'm writing <clears throat> All the words can't turn the percentage of air. I'm shifting hips. I'm documenting yeah. all of this stuff because I'm yeah. doing it. And this is paper charting five yeah. minutes. And they're like, okay, bye. Thanks. I moved yeah. along. And then she ended up not keeping her address up to date with the board of nursing. Her husband was active duty. She moved to another state. They found her negligent in the civil case. The board of nursing tried to reach out to her more often than not. That's three times. They'll send you a certified letter to your required up-to-date address. That's supposed to be changed within 15 to 30 days that most nurses don't know about, but I digress. (laughs) And they sent her her letters. They came on back. And then, so they revoked her license. She goes to renew her other license and they're like uh, no sister you don't get to hold on to wow. another license there's no double jeopardy for us you will all those license fall you will stand in front of every single board that you hold a professional license in and that was a revocation of her license so that's five years she couldn't come back to the table for five years and i just helped her get her license renewed again so i helped her 
at year five, and then I just hope to renew again. But do you see how one big animal, and yeah. if you don't think that your documentation is a big deal, if that's not one example, I don't know what else would be. I'm a lot and I'm animated, yeah. but it's for that because those are the nurses that reach out to me, yeah. right? And then I look at your documentation and there's nothing written, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can yeah. say you're normal. Pro- I mean, and again, how is the expert even supposed to pull together anything? You wrote nothing. What is that expert supposed to use to help defend you? You've given her nothing, nothing. Yeah. You wrote nothing. Yeah. When, when you do, if you ever do get that, you know, letter that you're being reposed, like deposed, what steps, you know, like, can people call, you know, somebody like you or like, what, you know, do they, they get a lawyer after that, you know, and like walk them through the steps? Like, you know, where do you go from there? Yeah. It's a great question. So not that I'm trying to plug myself, but I mean, plug work. yourself. We're, I'm we're ending, kidding. we're almost at the end of the episode. This is where to do it anyway. <laughs> so I won't help. I'm a nurse. I'm being deposed because yeah. civil litigation, this is very different from the board of nursing. I already told you within the fi- first five to seven minutes, they're going to be asking you who prepped you or who did you're not saying me. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm a lawyer. but you do need to know yeah. some words. Most nurse. So in the book, it's like, what is a plaintiff? What's a defendant? What does, what is a petition? What are my rights? Cause nurses all want to just start singing and telling them. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop, stop. Where I was in the break or 1130. Where are you at? You know, Oh, I had given salary report and it's not what you're asked. Where were mm-hmm. you at? I was in the break room. Okay. So did you give a report to someone? I did make them pull this out mm. of you. So that's civil litigation. So I wrote that book because again, we don't understand that language. We don't understand our rights. We don't understand what that means. This is like 20 pages that dumbs down some stuff, what to wear, some simple things. Cause that's civil litigation. And if you get found negligent, you do have to report that to the board of nursing, which is very different. You can go to a deposition in front of a board of nursing as well, but different, right? Your conduct is being questioned, not always call it a deposition, but sometimes nurses will use that language. If you do stand under like an ALJ and I don't want to get into too many weeds, it may be like a true deposition. And the last place that you want to be is a trial lawyer questioning you. Right. So mm-hmm. this is like California border nursing. It's an ALJ. This is a trial lawyer that will rip you up. So great question. But you can go to the risk management. Mm-hmm. That's your that's where you go. Like, what does this mean? You know what I mean? And just yeah. ask them, call some medical malpractice lawyers, get your free 15, 30 minutes. This is what's sure. happening. I was the primary nurse. What are your thoughts? Get legal representation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to tell you, did the patient have a bad outcome? Did they lose their limb? Did they lose their life? So at that point, some logical things should start clicking off in your head. The organization, uh, uh, that lawyer's check is being cut by Sunnyville Hospital. And I was the one that caused the death. So I probably want to reach out to a civil lawyer before I sit down with the hospital and or, you know, or you can sit down Mm. with the, like the lawyer with the hospital, whatever. And it's going to come. Most of us have a common sense, 
it's going to come to fruition and you can, you're not, that's, that's private. That's confidential. You're not being deposed at that time. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I want to look at the medical records. They start talking to you, you know, and you're like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking like I may have been negligent here as I start Mm -hmm. to look at this. And you're like, so I think I'm going to get legal counsel. I think it might be in my best interest. So let's put that deposition on pause and I'm going to seek out some legal counsel and I'll, I'll get back with you. But I think it's in my best interest to, to speak to someone else. You're not, this isn't like you're, you know I mean? You're not charged with a crime. They can't make you come to the deposition. I mean, they can, they'll, they're subpoenaing you. That's not true, but it's, it can be pushed back on your schedule. You are allowed legal representation. Mm, Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I know that you also have an online course, correct? Because I, I get the emails. So <laughs> yes. tell me about what what some of the educational opportunities, the events, you know, anything that you're sure. promoting right now. Um, so the charting course is like the biggest thing that nurses have been asking me for. Because again, they always ask me, how do I chart? How do I chart? So you get a CE, it's an hour. And then I think the handout's up to 16 pages because I take feedback. So because again, I want, I want yeah. to... You know what I mean? You're coming to me. I'm more than happy because I'm not the end all to BR. I may not know or, but let me get that for you. Or so it has like some cases in it. It'll have like, this was the case. This was the standard and this was the breach. And then mm-hmm. I have things like the soapy or the definition of medical malpractice. I read it to you in the presentation, but I don't want you to write it down. I give it to you in the handout because I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. I don't want you mm-hmm. to scribble down a bunch of words. Um, so I teach nurses, um, that, and then I have a legal nurse course. I teach nurses how to cross over to legal nursing. Nurses have this misconception, like they have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on courses. You don't, I don't have a certification. I let, um, the board of nursing, I didn't know at the time, teach me how to become an investigator, which crossed me over to be a civil expert. And then I started teaching myself some of this stuff because you're not a lawyer. You're not, we're not, you know what they want? Your nursing knowledge. They want you to look yeah. at the case. Then, yeah. And if you don't know how to write a report, then they could have legal nurse consultants already there. Why are you renting, inventing the wheel? How, let them teach you. Or if you're the expert, you know what I mean? Lawyers, send me over the last three expert reports that you liked. Why do you care? You have the knowledge. You just need to how to write it and learn how to write it in that manner. And there's like a yeah. hundred things that a nurse can do as a legal nurse. It's not a testifying expert and or a consultant. There's so many other things mm-hmm. that nurses have no idea that they could cross over into. And that's like the first like 30 minutes of yeah. the course. And then I teach how to set up a business because you can't take money as Maggie. You have to take money as advocate Maggie sure. because you, you don't want to be sued, right? It's the same thing with malpractice. Yeah. So yeah. Um, coming, I'm doing like a, a blog. I try to get information out there. If I'm asked on a, a platform, then I try to create something in a blog to give more information where I spell it out. I give you a regulation. So I, I, my whole biggest platform is this trying to educate nurses to keep you from standing in front of one of these three courts of law. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's such a necessary, thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, I mean, it's, it's information that I never knew and people don't think about and it's so necessary, but people don't think about it until they're in that situation. So I call them the one percenters. Unfortunately, I've, I've coined this word and I'm like, it's not till it's the one percenters. Cause even in my own place of employment, I'm not at the best anymore. You know, I was shamed and told I'm being animated and activated. And then they would see nurses come to me. Like a nurse came to me cause she got reported to the board of nursing for shocking a patient that was in VT. Let me say that again, saying she didn't mm-hmm. have an order. 
and she had no expert defend, defend her in front of the Board of Nursing. That's not defendable, right? Again, why would she ever sign those orders? But she didn't understand what that meant and, you know what I mean, and just sign mm-hmm. away, like, because the nurses, she was standing next to her, retaliating against her. Had I, you know, myself and, you know, her legal team, she had a legal team looked at that, you know what I mean, I could have been the expert for that and wrote saying that, no, that falls under the ACS protocol. It's actually, actually mandatory. That patient lived. Yeah. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. And your website is advocatesfornurses.com, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want any more information, too. And your book is, remind me of the title of the book. Help, I'm a nurse, I'm being deposed. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Not being great. So different than border nursing litigation. Yeah. Right. So nurses, because it's a different, you're considered guilty in front of the border nursing. You have to prove your innocence, unlike Mm -hmm. civil criminal. So nurses, that's why it's so important that you understand the rules and regulations that dictate your license, please. Yes, absolutely. All right, Maggie. It was great. Great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Be well. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in to Nursing Uncharted. To learn more about today's episode, make sure to explore the show notes at AmericanMobile.com slash Nursing Uncharted. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. If you're a nurse interested in traveling, visit AmericanMobile.com to explore the largest database of travel nursing jobs in the industry and the amazing benefits that American Mobile has to offer. Also, a special thanks to producer Jonathan Carey, assistant producers Katie Schrauben and Sam McKay, and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. Until next time, take care of yourself.